Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. This week I get to chat with Chris Verdi, aka Green Money Fab, about how he turned his passion for barbecue into a side hustle building smokers, open fire tables, and fireboxes. He talks about how after an accident at work left him with a lot of free time during recovery, he took to YouTube to entertain himself and fell in love with the art of barbecue. He chats about the types of metal he uses to make griddle tops as well as seasoning them, getting to weld in one of his heroes, Jimmy DeResta's shop, and how he goes about making smokers that can weigh thousands of pounds out of his two-car garage. If you're interested in building smokers, you won't want to miss this one. We dive in after a quick word from our sponsors. When it comes to welding, most people think the danger lies in the fire and electricity. But what you learn fast when you strike up and get a whiff of fumes is how terrible those can make you feel, especially after a long day of work. Welding creates fumes that can be hazardous and you need them out of the way. Luckily, Donaldson has come up with some cool stuff to help welders. They make fume extraction equipment for major fabricators, smaller shops, and everything in between. They've been around for more than a hundred years, so they know what they're doing. Weld fumes are no joke, so learn how to protect yourself. Head over to Donaldson.com to check out their stuff. You'll be glad you did. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, just in case they're not familiar with you and your work? Yep, my name is Chris Verdi. I run Green Money Fabrication. It's a side business I started building just offset barbecues and really anything I had an idea to. Most of the time, it usually ended up being barbecues or open fire grills or whatever I had at the time. That's where we met. We yeah. met over the the open fire grill, man. I was yeah. super impressed by all of the smokers you had out at Maker's Camp because that's where we just met. Your smokers were very impressive, but that table, like the open fire table, I'd never seen one in action. So it was really Yeah, cool. that was my first time ever cooking on one of them too. Really? Yeah. I've ran coals and I follow a bunch of people on Instagram who all do that. So in the months leading up to it, because we knew we were doing this, I basically researched as many of these open fire grills and people cooking on them as much as I possibly could. How did you first get involved in making smokers or any kind of grilling equipment? I've always been really into barbecue and I crushed my hand because I was a diesel mechanic back, you know, back in the day. I still am kind of doing more (laughs) office stuff more than anything anymore. But uh, I was working in a shop, I was working on a bus, I was cutting U-bolts off and wasn't paying attention. The air jack aired down, ended up putting all the weight on the rear axle and the leaf spring came down and crushed my hand in between the bus and the concrete floor. So yeah, it was fun. So I get for not paying attention. I ended up, I was out for I think three or four months. And during that time, I really had nothing to do because I couldn't use my hand. So I ended up watching YouTube a lot. Ended up watching a few guys that were building barbecues and I saw that and I was into offsets, but never wanted to pay for one. So I was like, all right. So I started looking up Facebook and I found a guy who had, I think I bought eight 60 gallon air tanks. They were like the Husky air tanks. Bought it for 50 bucks for eight of them, which I wish I could find that deal again. Yeah, man, that's a heck of a deal. It's incredible how much steel has gotten to be. 
Yeah. So I built my first one. Actually, before even that, I built my first one prior to me getting hurt. But that was just kind of like an experimental one. That was a 120-gallon offset, but it was reverse flow, actually. And I did such a poor job of managing my heat, cutting the tank, that I ended up having to scrap the door. And I built this triangular door that was at a quarter-inch plate. And it weighed more than half the smoker. It was ridiculously heavy. The guy still uses it, though. That was, I think, almost 10 years ago now. 10, 11 years ago. That's all that matters, right? Oh, yeah. It worked well, too. The only downside was my exhaust stack wasn't straight. So it was off just enough. It was off by a couple degrees that if you're paying attention to it, you could see. Still still bothers me to this day. (laughs) That's something like only you would see like little things like that in your work. But once you see it, you know. You can never unsee it. Okay. So when we're talking barbecues and stuff, you said you got these tanks. A big thing with welding on tanks or even cutting into tanks is one, you don't know what was in there half the time. You know, what safety measures do you take when you're like working on this type of stuff? So, I mean, the safest thing I could say to do is to never do it. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) So, if you are going to take the risk to do it, there's a few ways to go about doing it. Probably one of the lowest impact and the safest ways to do it is to just fill it with water. Because if you have a propane tank or anything, the water will displace the gas because it won't mix in. And also, if you add a little bit of a dish soap into it, it'll help pull all the chemicals out of the pores of the steel and like all the nooks and crannies from any like uh, rust scale that might be inside. And then just run it for a while. And then if you're really nervous about it, and I'm nervous every single time I go to do it, and I've done, mm-hmm. I think, 50 of them now, I just take a torch and I go over the open hole where the water's coming out. If I don't see any flames, then there shouldn't be any flames inside. Yeah. There's always that possibility. I've actually upgraded now to getting a, uh, they use it on the pipeline. It's like those uh, combustible gas detectors. Oh, nice. So there, it wasn't that expensive. I got, uh, I think it was like a hundred bucks and it does, you know, it goes down to parts per million, tells you how much it's in there and knock on wood, I've only had one close call and that was because I was cutting open a tank that I thought I had gotten all the, I let it run long enough, but apparently they put dye in it. And the dye, I guess, was also flammable. Oh, gosh. So as I'm cutting it open with the plasma cutter, flames are just shooting out the top of this 120-gallon upright propane tank. And it didn't really burn me. It just kind of singed some hairs and scared me a little bit. But Yeah. definitely. So I learned to let it run for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whenever I go to cut open like the initial propane tank, I have full leather welding gear, my full helmet, make sure to go to the nines with as much impact and sheer resistant clothing as I can just in case it decides it wants to pop on me. But then again, you watch the guys who do pipeline who do hot tie-ins and they're yeah. sitting there with, you know, all that gas and they're just welding like there's nothing going on. I know, so, man. It's a wild world we live in the welding world. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's, it's crazy. I mean, some of these guys I see that just, but especially with pipeline stuff, that was always, especially considering doing smokers and pipeline are so close, you know, that's where the offsets really got their start was in the pipelines. Guys would just use scrap pipe make their own offset smokers just so they can eat lunch while they're out in the line. I never even knew that. So that was what I heard. Whether it's true or not is a different story. Hey, we're going with it. We're going with it. It's a very romantic story to the beginning of offset barbecues. Yeah. So were there people, who were your kind of like biggest inspirations when you were learning how to make all these? So Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue, he put out a series on PBS. He started from point a of just how to prep the brisket doing ribs and all that stuff and then eventually he got to the point where he actually showed building a cooker it wasn't like step by step but it was a a pretty good overview and that was one of the first times i actually when i saw that i was like oh 
okay, that kind of takes some of the mystery out of it. Cause I'm not a professionally trained welder. I just learned from a few friends, from very good friends who are professional welders. But for the most part, a lot of it was trial and error and YouTube. Yeah. The stuff that you make is awesome. And like the CNC side, did you teach yourself CNC too? Yeah. Dang. I'm lucky that my dad is very into 3D printing and him and I were doing 3D CAD and stuff like that for years. I never could afford a CNC cutter. So at my old job, they actually had a little two by two Bailey CNC plasma table that no one knew how to run. So I was like, okay, I want to play with it. So I'm going to figure it out. I ended up, they had it tucked away in a corner. It was all rusted. Didn't work. Nobody even knew how to use the software. So I did the research on it and just kind of learned everything. And that's actually where a lot of my initial CNC stuff for the longest time for the year or two came from. That's why. So do you have a CNC table now? Yeah. So I have a five by 10 true cut table. Uh, it was a okay. series one. It's like t- almost 20 years old that I upgraded the electronics on because I didn't have a torch eye control. So my torch eye control was me with my welding glasses looking at it at plate level and controlling it with the up and down as I was running around the table. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was exhausting. You couldn't step two feet away from the table while you're in the middle of a cut. And there was a few times where I tried doing nested cuts on a five by 10 sheet. It took three and a half hours and I was eye level the whole time. That's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. Came out all right, but. I don't have a CNC table, but everybody's just like, it's a money printer because like. Not only can you like use it for the projects and stuff you're doing, you can also, a lot of people subcontract you out to cut parts and stuff for them too. So that's what I've been doing. A lot of times I'll be actually cutting parts or I'll have other guys who I follow on Instagram or follow me on Instagram ask me to cut certain parts. So I don't do huge runs because there's a couple of guys who already do that and they have laser tables or like they have much nicer setups that are more consistent than mine. Because mine still needs a lot of tuning to get to where it would actually be. I'd feel comfortable making large-scale parts for people. You got into this fairly recently, right? So the C in my CNC table, I think I've had for about a year and a half now. And the small CNC at my old job is about two or three years. So right. before that, I was using like send, cut, send, and sending stuff out to them for smaller parts. But it's kind of hard to do a you know a two foot by two foot firebox. Yeah, through through EPS with quarter inch plate. Oh yeah, that's a little, the shipping will get you on that one. Yeah, just a little. How, as far as, have you had conversations like when you're trying to figure out how to construct it? Because there's, you were showing me the inside of some of these and and you were telling me all the different things that make it do what it's supposed to do. When it comes to like components, like how did you find the best way of making it flow correctly? Because that was one thing you were saying you were struggling with one of those. Yeah, well, with that that thousand gallon, I didn't build it. I'm gonna be modifying it, but the thousand gallon, the larger smokers are like their whole job is to just pull air. Those things are basically, you know, gigantic. I mean, everything when it involves fire is a huge air pump. It's pulling air in and pushing out exhaust. But with the thousand gallon and the five hundreds, they're supposed to flow so much air because the convection of that heat is truly what cooks majority of the food, mm-hmm. and they're just the volume of the fire will cook food and you'll get like, that's generally why most barbecue restaurants that cook with the larger smokers, you'll, it's very hard to duplicate those flavors on smaller offsets because most of the older, smaller offsets just didn't pull enough air. So that thousand gallon that we were cooking on a, that was the first time I ever cooked on it, but also B the wood wasn't exactly as dry as I would have hoped and C the design of it was terrible. It's got a huge baffle plate that is, it's supposed to in theory help distribute the air and the heat 
further into the smoker so you don't get more any you know as many hot spots and then all it does is literally just throttle the smoker off completely there's a couple guys that have baffle setups now or they instead of just having an open offset they'll have kind of like a metered intake into the cook chamber and it's all proprietary to what they do and it supposedly works and they have beautiful pits so i've never seen one in person though so i can't say I would do the same thing. So all the stuff I build is all open offsets where it's literally just firebox going into the cook chamber, nothing impeding the flow. And you'll get a hot spot within the first, depending on the size of the fire and the size of the smoker, could be the first couple inches, the first foot or two, but then the heat rises and it continues over. And then you get super even temps all the way across as long as you have proper airflow. Have you messed around with different ways of making it flow? Have you? Oh, yeah like engineered your own special way? Uh, I've kind of messed around with it. I mean, just like anything else, you kind of look and see what's out there. So the the offset smoker has been around for, I, I mean, I don't know how long. I know Moberg Smokers, he's been doing it for like 20 or 30 years. And he's one of the one of the OG builders that's out there. It makes absolutely beautiful stuff. I kind of looked, and especially when I was doing it, like originally doing it, I was looking around seeing, okay, what are elements of these things I really like? Mm-hmm. And how can I either make them myself or improve upon them or make something at least similar because obviously it works. I wanted to make it to where it worked the same way because I like the functionality of it, but I'm either going to make it heavier or I'll make it bigger or make it slightly different because I didn't want to steal anything from anybody. But at the same time, there's only so many ways to make a tire. There's only so many ways you can do certain things. And then, so like everybody has the same kind of door. If it's in a pipe, you're cutting a door out. Now, some guys do it where they'll Make little, you know, they'll round the corners or they'll do this or they'll do that or they'll have different structures inside. But at the end of the day, it's a door. I mean, that's my whole life I've been trying to, I'm a reductionist. I'll go through and yeah, I've, I'm a diesel mechanic my whole life. I was certified in, you know, four different manufacturers. I had my ASC master certification and everything. All I do is tighten bolts. Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's all it really is. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, because if you make it too complicated, then not only are you scaring off other people from trying it, but at the same time, you kind of make it more. The, usually the problem isn't that complicated. Yeah. So if you make it seem complicated to you, then you're going to spend two hours trying to figure something out that should have only taken you two minutes. Yeah, and it's funny how everyone loves to overcomplicate stuff, especially when it comes to welding. Like, I feel like there's... Oh, I do that all the time. I do. I go overkill. That's whenever I like I'm welding stuff. I'll put too much weld on there because I have too yep. much fun, you know. <laughs> so those twin 500s that I was cooking on, those were actually the first trailer I ever built. They were the first offset 500 I ever built. And then also the first matching pair of offset 500s I ever built. And those fireboxes were each 1200 pounds a piece because the inner liner is a 30 inch by I believe 36 inch deep, three inch thick pipe. And then the actual outer skin is all quarter inch plate. And the outer box is, I think it was 38 by 38. And then it's almost 40 inches deep. I was so worried because it was so heavy. I actually did six passes all the way around where the firebox meets the cook chamber. Because I mean, I was using 035 wire. I was burning it in. I had no, it was just the way I do stuff. I'm very, I'm always worried that I'm going to screw up. So I go overkill with everything. That's why I like that live fire smoker. That was all out of quarter inch plate or three sixteenths J channel because, I mean, I had it, but also I was worried about everything moving like crazy with the amount of heat I knew we were going to be putting into it. Yeah. Speaking of that table, tell people kind of the circumstances of why you were asked to make that table. 
Will Shear, who's a world-renowned chef, and right now he also, he basically his job is to outfit commercial kitchens. So he's the one that I've been cooking with for the past three years at Maker Camp up in the Catskills. So this year, we try, always try to do like a pit party where it's just kind of like friends and family type deal, people who are ever demonstrating or if they work at the resort or they're friends of demonstrators who are well-known. We kind of do a small little party while there's other parties going on. So this year we did smash burgers and we were trying to, you know, you could get a propane griddle, but that's not any fun. So Will asked me if I could build an open fire table with a, you know, steel griddle on top. And it's like, yeah, sure. So I ended up, it was a little smaller than I really wanted it to be, but it ended up being perfect. So I was just using scrap material that I had laying around. I wish I had that laying around my shop, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I for the longest time, what I used to do is I used to go to liquidations and just buy whatever steel I could. This was J-Channel that it was 3 sixteenths. It was all press broken. I call it J-Channel. I don't know what it truly is. But to me, it looks like an up, you know uppercase J. Yeah. And it was out of 3 sixteenths plate. It was all press broke. And I had, I think like at one point, I had 10 lengths of 10 feet. And so this is what I had left. So what I ended up doing was I made a two by five, like open fire table, ended up being with the fire brick in it, it had a three and a half to four inch deep goalie inside to where the coals would sit in. And then on the plasma table, I cut out a firebox that would allow me to burn the logs down to coals and then just kind of shovel it underneath whatever I was doing. I didn't have time to do it before we left for maker camp. So I ended up welding at Jimmy DeResta's shop. Nice. Which honestly was awesome. I love every time I get to to say that I was able to weld and she made the rest of the shop because he was always just a hero from, you know, I've been watching him since I was in high school. I was able to weld the griddle there in his shop. And then we, that night we fired it up and cooked for, cooked 120 smash burgers, I think. That's a lot of so, burgers. Yeah. Well, I was running the fires and Will was doing all the cooking. When it comes to seasoning, that's a big thing. Like when you're yeah. doing like grill tops, like griddles, things like that. You know, I you know a lot of people use like stainless for that type of stuff or like cast iron, but yep. you were saying that was just like regular mild steel. Yep. That was regular A36. Just it was pickled and oiled. So what I did was is ground everything down to bare steel. Before I welded anything, I ground everything down to bare steel. I used benchmark abrasives. But it was just a stripping disc, got everything down there. And then from there, I went to an 80 grit flap wheel and just went over anything that would be touching the food just to make it a nice, consistent surface finish all the way across. Cleaned it really well, just scrubbed it with soap and water. Then after it was welded, came back, hit it again. So I took a wire brush and tried to get whatever little bit of, a, you know, the silicone that always loves to stick on MIG welds every once in a oh, while. Oh, yeah. And tried to get whatever I could off. Then lit a fire underneath it and burned the hell out of it to where it just basically boiled out whatever I could. After that cooled down, then I coated it with just regular vegetable oil. Or it was basically like the spray pam, but it was cheap spray pam. But it was just regular vegetable oil, spray vegetable oil. And then I just got to like 450 degrees for a while and just kept spraying and wiping it down. And I mean, it's sitting outside right now and it's been through, I think, three rainstorms already. Not a speck of rust on it. And that was just regular old mild steel. That's what's held me back. I've got a barbecue I want to build in my backyard. And my wife, she definitely would love a flat top as well as me. Just because I want to make those smash burgers, man. Yeah, those <laughs> things are delicious. I see you make quite a few of these smokers and tables now. Like, How are people finding you? Are they like finding you through social media? Is it word of mouth? 
It's actually a mix. So I, most I've only gotten business on up here on the East Coast, and I think the furthest I went was either I think he was in Vermont, and then the further south I went I think it was Delaware or Virginia, one of the two. So most of the pits I've all built have all been either New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or New York. And it's been either word of mouth or mostly Instagram, just kind of putting every once in a while, I'll run a boosted ad and then it'll go out. So anytime I'm actually looking to take orders, because this is only just a side gig for me. So I'm already way behind of what I wanted to be <laughs> as far as my delivery dates. It's been uh, between, because I have back problems. So between getting hurt constantly or my day job getting in the way or switching day jobs or, you know, putting stuff on pause because I had, you know, a few things to take care of. And it's just the, honestly, those twins, why I thought I would be able to build two of something in the same amount of time. I normally built one of something and I've never built them before that screwed me all up. So that actually, those were three years ago and I'm still backtracking and trying to get caught up from those three years. So it was, yeah, it was my own stupidity. I mean, but that's, you're learning. Oh yeah. No, I learned a lot on those two. And, and they were like, fun, honestly. It was the coolest thing to say, I built this 6,000-pound trailer yeah. in my two-car garage. <laughs> yeah. No, that's because that's a thing that I know a lot of people are kind of intimidated by when they're getting into welding is like, one, where am I going to build all this stuff? Yeah. And it's funny how you said, I built this in my two-car garage. Yep. Yeah, I built in my two-car garage, and I painted them in my carport outside that I bought just specifically to paint them in. See? Because I couldn't make- paint them in my garage. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. get them back out. Yeah, no. With that five by ten table right now, I'm operating out of a one by two, one by one car garage because that five by ten table takes up almost an entire car bay. I've built some like handrails and stuff where, like, I built for my front porch here. I built a twelve foot long handrail, and my shed is ten by ten. I had it sticking out of the door half of the time, you know. For that thousand gallon smoker, one of the things I need to do to it is I'm building a trailer for it. So that thousand gallon smoker is already, I think it was 18 or 19 feet long by itself. So I'm going to end up doing with the 50 degree tongue for the trailer, it's going to end up probably being close to like 21 or 22 feet long, which is exactly the length of my garage. And so I'll either have to just basically put a tarp over my garage door and kind of build like a small enclosure that juts out into my driveway. You got to yeah. do what you got to do. I've done it before and it's always worked. It is a little janky, but a couple two by fours and some, and some Harbor Freight tarps. It's amazing what you can do. <laughs> it sure is. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device. Specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. 
As far as teaching yourself how to weld, you said that like you taught yourself through YouTube. What were the hardest parts about teaching yourself how to weld? So pacing myself and then because I, I think everybody ends up doing this, but they move too fast. So I was doing that horribly. So I was having, a, especially before I got into the smokers, I actually wanted to learn how to weld for working on the buses that I was working on for doing sheet metal work and everything. So I was having, just even on sheet metal, I was having issues where my weld was bounding up. So when I started welding on quarter inch plate, it was like somebody, it's it's like a chicken was just shitting all over the place on it. Oh man. So my one buddy told me, he, he really hammered it into my head. He goes, you got to wash the puddle and then make sure heat's correct. Don't be afraid of undercut because you can always go back and fix that. It's a lot less grinding if you have to, you know, instead of trying to grind down a, a half inch tall fillet instead of. You got a little intercut, okay, clean it up and you go back and fix it. So it was always, and then it got to the point where I was actually getting too slow oh, and then I had to go the other way. So I've, I think I've through, right now I run a Millermatic 251 and through that machine, I think I have, I mean, probably for most of the people on here, they're going to laugh at this, but I think I probably may have a thousand or 2000 pounds wired through it now. And hey, it's that's a lot of wire still. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's been a lot. It's, it's definitely a lot of wire. But at least for me, for at least, at least for my pocket, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, no, I, I've definitely learned to slow down. There's still some, there's a million things I still want to try and get better at. And I built my own test stand so I can start, you know, I always practice my uphill welding because that's always fun. Oh yeah. Try you do all it. up, what, you don't do any downhill? The forbidden downhill? On my trailers, I actually build them in a rotisserie so that way I can avoid doing downhill. Oh, and nice. then because I've had that burned into my brain that, you know, you can't anything less than quarter inch is, you know, it's okay, I guess, but it's really, you try, gotta get try that to full avoid penetration, it. man. Yep. Gotta get that full pen. Basically I take two pipe stands and I take uh cause the, the hitches that I get for the trailers are bulldog style where they ha- kind of have stick out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it makes a perfect spot for the pipe clamp for it to rotate on. So oh, then all perfect. I do is I have, I build a temporary back rail and then put a pipe in the center of it and rotate it around so once i get everything tacked up in place then i'll rotate it all over the place and burn it in and then depending on how much weight is on the trailer i may run like a downhill cap just to you know make it a slightly wider fillet but that's about it the rotisserie method i get the opinion from people like when someone's rolling out a pipe or rolling something on a rotisserie there's oh yeah anybody could do that yeah yeah, but yeah anybody could do it you could do it too like well, you could do it too if you wanted. <laughs> I would love to say I have, you know, thousand hours in uphill welding and you know, I can guarantee you my welds look beautiful going uphill. I know they'll penetrate and I know they'll hold they look like crap. Yep. And I'm still working on trying to get that fillet to lay flat and not mound up and so it, it kinda I, I don't want to spend that kind of time. Yeah. So I already don't have I already don't have any time as it is yeah. by being oh, able to not, rotate like, it around. You're not holding like high pressure in these either. No, but also at the same time, my fear always is, you know, I have a three or 4,000 pound smoker bouncing down the road and one of my supports cracks and all of a sudden that's bouncing in the opposite direction. Yeah. that. So never, I just the sheer fact, it was funny. So the twin 500s, we cooked on them last year and I have since changed my hinge design for the folding stacks. This was an old design and it never got sprayed. They, he never collapsed them, so he never used the hinge. While pulling forward through that banner area, right when you first enter Maker Camp, I wanted to fold the stacks down instead of having them take the, the banner down. I only had it welded on the edge of quarter inch plate and just snapped it. The pipe weighs, that top half of the pipe is like almost 100 pounds. 
because yeah. it's schedule 80, eight inch pipe. And it's, I think that's a four, three or four feet tall. So it's heavy. So we went to go bend it over. And it was, I was like, ah, and I was in front of, you know, 600 people that snapped <laughs> off of my hands. I'm like, there we go. They're like, well, I'll fix this. Yeah. It's like a good thing. There's a lot of welders around here. Yeah. That's crazy, man. I mean, cause it's, I think people underestimate the size and weight of smokers too, you know, and they're those, those twin 500s weighed when I pulled it over the scales to weigh the trailer, it was 5,900 pounds. And that thousand gallon that I had there, that thing weighed, I think, cause I put it on, it, it maxed out my crane scale I have, and that goes up to 2,200 pounds. Cause I know a thousand gallon tank just by itself weighs 1600 pounds usually. How are you moving this? Um, so I have a couple of different four jacks I use. I have an old Harbor Freight gantry crane that really doesn't get much use anymore. I have a 19, I think it was 1969 or 1972 white forklift that I bought for 500 bucks and then had to do some work too. Good thing you were a mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, all these skills are coming into play. Yeah. Always too broke to buy anything nice. So you got to fix everything. Hey. Oh, that's, I mean, most people starting off in their welding career, they're in the same boat. Oh, yeah, you know? 100%. That 251 I got, I had to replace the board on it when I okay. first got it. So I bought that for, I think it was like 400 bucks, but the, everything else was perfect on it. That's the thing I took away from Maker's Camp was just that fixing things, remaking things, reusing things, you know, just the versatility that people are like, this isn't trash. This is something we no. can make, you know? No, honestly, that's one of the things I love about being in the maker community is the sheer fact that if you can't fix it, I'm sure you're going to be able to find somebody who can yeah. in one way or another, because there's people that were like, are just case in point when we were at Jimmy Duress's shop fixing that power hammer on Saturday, there's all walks of life. And you know, one guy's an electrical engineer, another guy's an accountant. And you would never know coming into here and they're, you know, getting covered in grease or they're running around doing this and restoring this think it was from 1920 or 1930 little giant hammer i forget it might be even older than that and it's very cool to see all these different people come together who like me i'm not a full-time welder uh, and this is the only time i cook barbecue for people other than like my family or maybe the people who work for me in my day job is literally once a year at maker camp that's it dang really yeah no i don't cook for i watch a lot of people who cook for that many people yeah. but i think this year we cooked for 500 people yeah, there's so, a lot of people. Yeah. And that's a big thing why we wanted to go to Maker's Camp and like why I wanted to get involved with the maker community just because I feel like I come, I'm an outsider to the welding world and I came in and, you know, I'm just like, I don't care. Let's yeah. be friends. Let's be friends. But I was, I knew about the maker community and a bunch of people in the welding world didn't. You know, it's like a lot of people don't know that there's these resources called like maker spaces where yeah. it's a cooperative space where like the one here in my town, it has a metal shop, a woodworking shop, textile, ceramics. Oh, yeah, you know, it's blacksmithing, crazy. like all these things that you can do to make a side hustle happen. You know, you don't have to put a down payment on a shop and all this equipment to get started. Like you can just pay a membership to make sure that it's what you want to do. You know? Yeah. They're all over the place too now. Like they're really starting to pop up everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's very cool because you can go up and go use a $200,000, you know, CO2 laser. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't have 200 grand laying around to go, you know, put this into an industrial warehouse <laughs> and they had, you know, the, the PLA printers and everything else they had way back in the day before it started to come to where, you know, everybody and their mother has a 3d printer. 
my dad, case in point, he's retired and he's going to be 70 soon. He's got four of them. So he's got his own little print farm for his trains over there and for everything else he likes to do. I mean, we have so many 3D printed little widgets all over the house. That's and, crazy. Yeah, he makes his own cars for his, for his trains. And then he's the one, him and my grandfather, the one who got me into doing all the makery stuff because they were just too cheap to pay anybody. <laughs> so we did everything ourselves. He's like, eh, you want this? We're going to learn yeah. how to make it. That was the one thing that both my grandfather and my dad both said is that they regretted not getting into welding and they didn't do it. So I was lucky enough in my high school that we did have metal shop. It was only there for a year or two and then they got rid of it, but it was enough to where it really made me want to play with steel more. I'm glad that you followed the passion to like start making these smokers because. Yeah, me too. It's been fun. It's a great community to get both the maker community and the barbecue community are both very enjoyable to be part of. I'm very yeah. lucky to do both, honestly. I always try to end episodes with advice for people like either like new welders getting into the industry or people just trying to get further. But considering that you are in this world of like smokers and building grilling equipment and stuff like that, what would your advice be to someone that just wants to get into it, but they might be a little intimidated, you know, because that's what you were talking about. That's a huge stuff you were making, but. You know, it's like, how did you find the courage or inspiration to get into it? I mean, as far as courage, I never really thought about it that way. It was just, oh, I want to try it and I'll go try it. Because when I first started doing the smokers, I was building them just for myself. So I figured if I screw up, I'm only screwing up my own stuff. It was just a matter of if I bought used tools. I mean, the only thing new that I've bought welding wise, other than grinders and lower impact stuff was my air compressor and my Hypertherm Power Max 45. Those are the only two things I bought new in that entire shop of metalworking of all the stuff I have. Other than, you know, like I said, grinders, small hand tools, fireball tools for all the fixturing stuff. It, it, there's certain things that make life super easy. And even especially with things like building the food grates, which I absolutely despise doing almost <laughs> as much as I hate painting. But the fireball tools, stuff like, you know, stuff that can make your life easier is always good to invest in later down the road. Like you got to learn the hard ways to do stuff like using the Pythagorean theory and doing three, four, you know, being able to use a line level that makes life a million times easier. And so there's certain things you can learn from every kind of trade to kind of put into what you're doing with welding or smoking or building the barbecues, or if you want to build a fence rail or whatever. For me, it was just, all right, cool. I have a welder. Let's go build some. That's all you need, man. If you have a welder, you're a step ahead, but no yeah. Way. And honestly, I, I guess I, I tell everybody, don't sleep on buying used tools because that UCNC plasma table, I paid $2,000 for that. I paid three grand for the upgrade. I bought a used power supply for it and I can cut seven eighths plate with that thing now if I want and it'll rip through it like butter. It may fight me a little bit, but- But it's going to get done. It'll get done. I went from taking two months to build a backyard smoker to now with everything cut, I was able to cut all my parts for six smokers in a week. And- when I actually have the time and I'm a hundred percent and I don't have a million other things going on like normal, but when I actually have the time to dedicate to building for one solid week, I can basically get one backyard offset built in a week, maybe week and a half without really killing myself. Unfortunately, you know, things come up, I have to go do this truck breaks down. You got to do this. So it adds time into the build process, but it really, I mean, the amount of time buying used tools to save me, Instead of sitting there trying to wait for the brand new thing, like, I, yeah, I would love to go out and buy a $50,000 plasma table. But it ain't going to happen. Ain't it ain't going to happen today. <laughs> sure. That is very true. So that's what I tell everybody. Don't sleep on used tools. 
Don't be like, just even if the lowest barrier of entry that you can get into it. And even with smoking, the lowest barrier of entry, like people, like a lot of builders and a lot of people in barbecue in general, not so much anymore, but they always used to hate on the pellet grills. Why? You're opening somebody up to the experience of barbecue. Then if they have that, they may want to move into doing the open fire cooking or do the smoking or doing whole hog, doing direct fire cooking, all this stuff that takes longer. Like you want to have the barrier entry as low as possible so you can get as many people doing it as possible. Same thing with makering, like doing being a maker. All you need is a piece of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Something I asked a lot of people up at Makers Camp, and I don't know if I asked you particularly, but can you just give me your best definition of what a maker is? I always say what a maker is, is just somebody who has the idea and is willing to execute. Whether or not they execute it correctly or not, they're willing to keep moving forward and then just all right, well, I guess I'm going to start over again and just start where I, oh, I figure out how I screwed that up. Then we go back and fix it. As they do that, they, whether it be leatherworking, blacksmithing, welding, woodworking, they're able to go in and just take their experiences and just keep getting better. But they're not letting that creative spirit die because they're, you know, discouraged by screwing up. So as long as you keep that, you know, enthusiasm for whatever you're doing, you're a maker. Whether or not you're doing it or not is a different story. That's not relevant, honestly. Because yeah. if you're making in your head, you're still making something. Interesting. I mean, that's a cool way to think about it too. Like I was heard, I heard it's always being a student, you know? Yeah. Always learning. That's what yep. being a maker is, is always learning. You're like always being well, open to learn. You go to school in the first one. That's what Jimmy DeResta always says. You always go to the school in the first one and you just yeah. keep going from there. I had a great time and. Yeah, I'm glad you guys came out. It was awesome. It was, it, it's great seeing more and more vendors getting involved with that show. Because it is, it's an amazing time out there. Like the people out there are awesome. Yeah. Honestly, by like, I wanted to try and go to more classes this year and actually participate in other demos, but just hanging out, I got caught up sitting there bullshitting with people. And I know you're working hard over there. Yeah. Sunday was definitely a long day, but it was the end product. It was well worth it. Oh yeah. No, those ribs were amazing. Like yeah. some of the best ribs I think I've ever had in my life. And I'm a, not lying. <laughs> yeah, they were. They was, I was very happy that they came. And that, those were all cooked on a thousand gallon for the most part. So I was very happy that I didn't screw those up because I was terrified that I was going to do that. They were great. They were perfect, man. I'm oh, good to hear that. Happy to hear that. So for people out there, where can they find your work? If they are interested and they want to maybe seek some of your work and then maybe reach out if they have questions, where can they find you? So on Instagram and Facebook, I'm on Green Money Fab. My website is greenmoneyfab.com and email is greenmoneyfab at gmail.com. Green Money Fab. Yep. It's Green Money Fab everywhere, basically. That's what's up, man. I love the logo too. Thanks. Yeah. Honestly, that's, I was joking around with the guy who bought them from me. I, I, I say this to everybody that it was the, the first really big mistake that I learned in how to, you know, bill work or how to price it out because I never thought anybody would pay that much money for anything I ever did. I said, I got the experience and I got a logo and hey. it is honest. I love the logo. No, it's a great logo. Sometimes like my welding company is called Bo did it welding because I was trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out a name. I had no, no yeah. good ideas. And then my neighbor, I fixed his trailer. Like he had a super jankety trailer that he bought. And so I just went and replaced a bunch of the side pieces on it. He was like, well, if anybody asks me, I'm going to say Bo did it. See, there you go. There's the name, Bo did it. And I was like, dang. And it stuck, and it's been there, and I couldn't think of anything else, you know? 
Yeah, with me, it was, so I've been a diesel mechanic since I was out of high school. And my first job out of tech school was worked for a school bus company that was attached to another automotive shop. And he's one of my lifelong friends now. I've known him since I was 18. He used to call me, he, he made up nicknames for everybody. So my last name's Verdi. Everybody spells it wrong with an E. So everybody thinks, of me. I mean, it's green, but it's a poor old green. But I would always ask him like, hey, do you have any extra work for me to do? And so I would ask him after hours, I would stay there until two o'clock in the morning with him working on stuff. He would do body work. He's actually one of the people who taught me how to weld. So he ended up calling me Green Money. And green it just, Money. It's kind of stuck. So we're sitting there and I'm getting ready to open the LLC and trying to figure out what I, or you know, not even before the LLC, just trying to figure out what I was going to do for the Instagram tag. I'm not creative in that sense. So I had a couple of my friends were sitting around drinking and I was like, you know, my buddy calls me Green Money all the time. I'm like, about green money fat. I'm like, yeah, that actually could go. That that's not a bad idea. It's got a ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know what? We can call them money pits too. So that's where my backyard. Oh my so gosh. The little pits are the little money pits and the and the big money pits. The little money pits are 24 by 48 offsets, and the big money pits are 24 by 60 offsets. So I was like, hey, you know, my buddy, he's in PR and he's like, okay. He's like, that good. works. <laughs> that works. So love the work. Thank loved you. the barbecue. I loved our conversations. I am very inspired to go and make one of these. My wife is very inspired for me to make one of these open fire pits too. Yeah, they're fun. And, you can, and honestly, and the amount of stuff that's going on now, the open fire scene really seems to be taking off a lot now. Offsets were all the rage for the last couple of years. And now people are starting to show more appreciation for the open fire side of things too, which is awesome because that's probably the hardest style of cooking, at least from what I can tell from a third person view watching all these people doing this. Every kind of live fire, whether it be using an offset smoker, a direct fire grill, the open fire cooking like that, where you're hanging, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the asado crosses where they'll take like a whole pig or a whole steer. Mm. And Alfragoni barbecue on Instagram is a great example of this. Big Hobbs barbecue, super secure barbecue. They're all great examples of these on Instagram. And to me, that seems like it's actually one of the more, you know, experience driven cooks because literally you're just holding your hand over the fire to try to gauge how hot it is because you're just in an open fire. That's so like they'll hang like tomahawks over, you know, embers and just slow smoke it from the heat rising up from the low flame or the embers. And it's mesmerizing to watch. I've, I'm, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to build the open fire table. So when Will asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, kill two birds with one stone for me. It's not always going to have that griddle on there. Nope. Yeah. That griddle just pop right off. You can take that griddle that I built and it can go over a campfire and go over anything. It's just on six legs. I actually do need to reinforce the bottom, which I knew I was going to have to do. I just didn't have the time or the the steel laying around to do it because it did bow in the center, which is where most of the heat was anyway. Heat was, yeah. So I just ended up, it worked out perfect for us because I wanted to tilt it a little bit so the grease would run off. So I just tilted it. I just shoved some bark underneath the two legs and it was perfect. I'm going to put up links to your Instagram so people can see this, but I'll see if I can... Maybe I can drop a specific link to this fire table. So I think it's this one of the most recent reels I did has a has fairly it? good video of the fire table being used. Okay. We had that ripping fire going in the firebox. Did you make those little fireboxes like out like the ones, the little fire pits that were next to the smokers too? Yeah. So I built those last year because what we were doing was we were burning for the big smokers. We were burning a ton of logs down 
to use the coals for that to actually feed the fires instead of doing it with open or with regular wood because it's a more consistent heat because you already have it burned. So instead of the open fire where, you know, you'll hit pockets of moisture, will cool the fire off or all of a sudden, like the entire stack of fire will go up on you and you'll see your temperature shoot up a hundred degrees if you're not paying attention. The, the coals, that's the way a lot of barbecue places do it. Instead of just throwing whole whole logs in, they'll just feed the coals in. It's actually very popular with direct fire cookers or uh, whole hog stuff. It's really impressive. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. This is a great reel, by the way. Thank you. But, I've been trying uh, to get better at it. No, it's great. It is super great. Like, I I was just super impressed by your main, like, just the way you fabbed all this up and... I'm jealous because that was like my big dream when I first got into <laughs> welding. I was like, I got to make one of these big smokers and I still haven't, but I'm going to, I have a bunch of metal wait, like just waiting for it. So They're definitely time consuming sometimes. I have really appreciated chatting. Yeah. Thank you very much. I definitely will be hitting you up when I do dive into that journey. It sounds like but a plan. If not before next year, I'll definitely see you at Maker's Camp next year. I was going to say, I hope you guys make it out again because that was you guys were a great addition to it. And I appreciate you, you know, inviting me on too. Good. Absolutely. So it was great. I really want to help bring these communities together. You know, the welding and the maker slash blacksmithing community. There's all these yeah. people that make all kinds of cool shit, but we just oh, don't. Definitely. I love being part of weld.com because I see it as a platform to show people off the people that don't have millions of followers but yeah. make really cool stuff and you know self-started their own thing so oh, like, yeah. to me that's way cooler than anything like someone that is willing to be like i'm going to put the time and effort into making smokers you know and teaching myself how to make smokers that's super impressive to me so i applaud you and thank you if you ever need help with welding if you need help like dialing stuff in call me oh. man Believe me, especially when I start doing some stick welding, I'll be hitting you guys up. That's my biggest weak point. If there's anything ever that you have questions or you need like oh, resources sure. on, dude, hit me up. Like, oh, that's definitely. My favorite part about doing this podcast is I talk to all kinds of welders, all kinds of manufacturers. Like, I'm a wealth of knowledge if people want to use it. <laughs> oh, for the, I, yeah, believe me, I will take advantage of that. I am not afraid to ask questions. Uh, me either. That's why I'm so good at this. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. And yeah, thank you like very I much. Said, anything anytime let me know Um, i appreciate that thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the weld.com podcast and thank you chris for not only the delicious barbecue up at maker camp but for coming on the show and inspiring me to build one of these open fire tables for myself i'll definitely be hitting you up for some advice I also want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Donaldson and Lincoln Electric, for helping make the show possible and showing us all the different pathways available in the welding industry. If you have a topic that you'd like me to cover or you want to be a guest on the show, let me know by reaching out to boww at weld.com or shooting me a message on the Weld app at bowdidit. Speaking of the app, did you know that there are projects in our e-learning section with downloadable resources like plans and even cut files? If you haven't already, join the Weld app today and see everything it can do to help you get to where you want to be in your welding career. Until next week, we'll see you out there.